0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. Before I jump into this morning's talk, let me mention just a couple of things. Tomorrow night we'll be gathering here for one prayer. Uh, We'd invite you to join us uh, at 6.30 to 7.30 tomorrow evening. uh, Always the first Monday of every month we gather here for one prayer. Uh, And we would just encourage you, if you've not been a part of one prayer or uh, are interested in kind of growing your life in prayer, this would be a great opportunity for you to come and join us as we're praying together uh, as to the heart of God and the things that the Lord has for our future here at Grace Crossing Church, and then also our personal needs, things that God may be doing in our lives that we want to be praying and supporting one another in. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. It is the single highest priority of what we do here. And so uh, some of the most important things that happen here happen in a prayer room over there. On Sunday morning between 10.30 and 11.15 when our prayer ministry gathers. So if you're in need of prayer at some point on Sunday morning or you'd like to grow your prayer life, there's a team that meets over in our prayer room on Sunday mornings between our services. And then our one prayer is a great chance for you to come and gather with the whole body. So we would encourage you to make plans to do that. The other thing I want to mention is next Sunday morning, Mother's Day, We are doing a child dedication, so if you're here and you have uh, a child that has not yet been dedicated to the Lord, this is not just for infants, this is for any child that you as a parent are taking an act of faith and are dedicating your child to the Lord, we would encourage you and invite you to join us next Sunday morning. You'll need to register today uh, for our child dedication. If you've not done so, please register this morning. You can do that after our service by going to our website, you can also use the connection card in the seat pocket in front of you and take it to our connection center or drop it in one of the giving boxes before you leave this morning. But we would encourage you to to pray and consider that if you're here and you're a parent and you've never dedicated your child to the Lord, great chance for you to take that step of faith and uh, really put God in the center of what you're doing as a parent. This morning, we're going to continue the series that we're in entitled Kingdom Come. Here's the catalyst verse, verses that we're using from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, we've been talking in this series about the kingdom of God is the movement of God, built upon the person of Jesus and then established into the hearts of those who become kingdom citizens by giving their lives to Christ and it is expanded through these kingdom citizens as we align our hearts and our values to the priorities of Jesus Christ. But there is a second critical aspect of the very first thing Jesus told us to pray about. And the second critical aspect is the will of God. Because Jesus did not just say, pray, your kingdom come. Jesus also said that we should pray, your will be done. And those are inseparable. The kingdom of God is expressed through the will of God. So when we talk about the will of God, the will of God is the priorities of God's kingdom. The will of God is the priorities of the kingdom of God. The greatest enemy in life is not death. The greatest enemy in life is living for misplaced priorities. Life's greatest failure is success in the wrong things, for the wrong reasons, and with the wrong action or ways. So many people live their lives with what I would call misplaced priorities, and the reality is when we fail to live for the right priorities, we waste two of life's most precious commodities, time and energy. Because when we live for misplaced priorities, we're putting the lion's share of our energy in things that are unimportant, we're majoring in minors, we're putting energy into things that are not important, and most importantly, are not eternal. And so life's single greatest failure is success for the wrong things, with the wrong motivation, and in the wrong ways. That's where God's will comes in. Knowing God's will is not the highest priority of God's kingdom. Doing God's will is the highest priority of God's kingdom. The chief purpose of the kingdom of God is that the will of God would find expression in every facet of of life here on earth. So when Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, let me say first and foremost, Jesus was speaking about these earthen vessels. You and I have been created from dust from the earth. And the very first place the will of God needs to find expression is in this earthen vessel. And then the will of God can find expression on planet Earth through the way that I live out my life. Now, listen to what Paul the Apostle said about the will of God in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let me begin by stating the obvious this morning. The way I think is not the way God thinks. You can live your entire life trying to convince people that the way you think is the way God thinks. But naturally speaking, the way we think is not the way God thinks. But watch this. The way we think can become the way God thinks. And how does that happen? It happens, first of all, by letting God, by giving God permission to actually transform you by changing the neurons in your brain, by helping you to begin to think differently about yourself, about others, about God, and about the world. And the Bible says that once that happens, once we give God permission, the Bible says that we then learn to know God's will. God's will is a learned behavior. It is something that we do not naturally do, but it can be learned. And so, before we get in and we begin to talk and unpack this idea of the will of God, the, the expression of God's highest priorities of His kingdom, I, I want to give you just three simple ways in this verse that, if you hear nothing else this morning, this is golden for you. It's important for us to understand this. There. Whenever we're going to make a major decision in our life, or even sometimes a minor decision, there are three really good questions to ask yourself. And they're actually right here in this verse. The first question you can ask yourself is, is it beneficial? The will of God is good. Is it beneficial? Is it beneficial for me? Is it beneficial for others? The second question you can ask yourself when making a decision and trying to discern whether it's God's will, is does it bring God pleasure? Does it bring God pleasure? God's will is pleasing to him. And the third question that I've learned to ask is, is it morally pure? Is it morally pure? God's will is perfect in the sense that it's morally pure. That's the motivation. Now, before we dive into this, there are some preliminary comments that I need to make this morning. Contrary to what many people believe, the will of God for your life is neither mystical nor is it mysterious. God's will is not mystical, neither is it mysterious. I want to take some pressure off of all of us this morning as we think about the will of God. Here's here's the pressure lifter. This should bring peace to your heart. God wants you to know his will. God is not doing some bait and switch with you. There is not a cat and mouse game God is playing with us. God is not dangling some divine carrot in front of us and say, see if you can find it. God has a plan for our lives and a will for our lives. And God's will is actually accessible. He wants us to know his will. And there's a second piece to this good news that I want you to hear this morning. 90% 90% of God's will for your life and for my life is universal. That simply means that 90% of what God desires for our lives has already been revealed. And you know what happens in life? the enemy loves to work at two angles with us. Number one, he loves to convince us that God's will is far too difficult to understand and it's even more difficult to live. But the other angle that the enemy loves to work at us in is this, he loves to get us to overplay the individual will of God, the last 10%, at the neglect of the universal will. If the enemy can get us to focus primarily on what I'll call the individual will of God, the last 10% of God's will, he can keep us and get us to underestimate the importance of the universal will of God for our lives. And what I think the Lord wants from all of us is to focus first and foremost on the universal will of God, the 90% that has already been clearly revealed to us, and not get bogged down in the last 10%. Because it's often the last 10% that trips us up or gets us stuck I know a lot of people that have lived their entire Christian life going to church every week and yet they've never moved anywhere, haven't moved the needle on doing anything significant for God. Why? Because they're so afraid that they don't know God's will for them. And so until I know God's will for my life, maybe I just shouldn't do anything. Here's my conviction. If we will focus on the universal will of God, we can then discover the individual will of God for our lives. But if we neglect the universal will of God, that universal will that is His will for every one of His creation, then I think through God's help, we can then discover the individual will of God. I think the universal will must lead the way. But this is not a formula. The will of God is not a spiritual formula. Life is built, as we know it, life is built on formulas, right? So in mathematics, a formula is an equation. In the kitchen, a formula is a recipe. In sports, there are certain ways that An athlete learns to do things, certain dietary decisions, exercise routines that allow him to have a certain velocity, power, strength, and edge, like what LeBron James did yesterday in the Eastern Conference semifinals on the final shot. Who does that? That doesn't just come natural. That comes through a lot of hard work, and it comes through a lot of honoring the formula. In architecture, A formula is a blueprint. In chemistry, a formula is the general makeup of a compound, right? Life is built, as we know it, on formulas, and I am thankful for formulas. I understand formulas and equations and recipes and blueprints. Well, actually, I take that back. I understand the idea of those things. And the idea is that if you put certain variables together you will then get a predictable outcome. And that is where formulas fall short when it comes to the will of God. There is a head-on collision between formulas and the will of God. Why? Because formulas are all about what is predictable, what can be controlled, and what can be certain. And I don't know about you, but the last time I checked, God is none of the above. God does not work in the plane of predictable outcomes. And He doesn't want us to become consumed with predictable outcomes. What God wants us to do is recognize that there is no combination of formulas that we can do that will guarantee an outcome. We can have all the right scripture, we can pray. We can be at peace in our heart about something, but at the end of the day, it doesn't guarantee you're going to get the job, you're going to get the promotion, you're going to find that particular spouse you've been looking for. It doesn't guarantee you're going to close the financial deal successfully. There are no predictables when it comes to God. No formula will yield God. But there are some ways that we can discover the will of God because it isn't mysterious and it isn't mystical. Here's what Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 says, My thoughts are nothing like yours, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. So if God's thoughts are beyond ours, And if God's ways are beyond finding out in our own human strength and finite mind, where do we go to discover the universal will of God? The universal will of God is first and foremost revealed in the Word of God. If you want to know the lion's share of God's will for your life, go to the Word of God. Many people believe that the will of God is kind of like an X on a treasure map. If you know where the X is, and somehow if you follow all of the trails along the way, you will find there the will of God for your life. But what happens when you miss a clue? Then people say things like this people say they talk about missing God's will as though somewhere along the way they missed a clue. And because they missed a clue, they're never going to get the treasure chest. They're never going to discover God's will. There may be a plan B. There might be a consolation prize somewhere. But God's true desired will is never going to be revealed. If you believe that there is one X for your life in every single area, you're going to live a very frustrated Christian life if you think there's only one person in the world that you can marry what happens when they miss the will of God you are in deep trouble if you believe there's only one job that you can be happy in you're going to have a problem when that person and those people hiring miss the will of God and don't hire you I don't believe our God's will for our life is that subjective I believe it's revealed to us clearly in Scripture when it comes to the will of God hear what I'm about to say X never marks the spot but here's the insight we get from scripture. Psalm 119 verse 105. Your word your word your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's the will of God is first revealed In the word of God. And there's two illustrations that David uses here in Psalm 119. He says, first of all, that God's word is a lamp. Now, I'm a camper. Love camping. There's nothing like pulling out that lantern and putting it outside near your campground and your campsite, lighting a bonfire, and just enjoying it the evening out there. When it's pitch dark and it's the middle of the night, often we'll light up a flashlight or a lantern to find our way. The Bible says that God's word is first and foremost a lamp. And the purpose of the lamp is to keep you from stumbling. If you want to make sure that you stay in God's will An expression of God's kingdom, then we need the Word of God to be the lamp unto our feet. But there's a second aspect of the Word of God here. The Bible says that God's Word is not only a lamp unto our feet, but God's Word is secondly a light to our path. Don't panic, remain calm. This is a controlled illustration. I use this this morning when I got up before my wife did. I use this many mornings if I get up before my wife does. Because I don't want to disturb her sleep, what I do is I take my iPhone and I turn on my light. And what is the purpose of the light? The purpose is to inform the way forward. It's what tells me what my next step needs to be. It's the thing that keeps me from tripping over something on the floor. It's the thing that keeps me from stepping on the cat's tail. It takes me one step at a time to where I need to go. God's word is a light unto our feet. It's a lamp to our feet, a light unto our path. Let's turn the lights back on. So what does God's word teach us about God's will? There's so much we could talk about this morning, but I want to give you three very quick things. Here's the first thing I want you to know that I think God's word teaches clearly about the will of God. Just because it's painful doesn't mean it isn't God's will. Many people equate pleasure for God's will. And so many people believe that if it's God's will, it's going to make them feel good. Because how could God's will ever make someone not feel good? So many people have the idea that if what I do succeeds, that success is God's will. And if it fails, then it certainly couldn't have been God's will. Let me tell you from personal experience and the experience of many people that I'm close to, God's will often involves pain and heartache and suffering and sorrow you remove that from Scripture and you are not being intellectually or theologically honest about the will of God. I know this isn't popular. I know you're not going to hear this from many television speakers, but let me tell you, this is what the Scripture teaches. First Peter chapter 4. If you are suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right and trust yourself to the God who made you. For He will never fail you first peter chapter 3 verse 17 it is better to suffer for doing good do you get that it's better to suffer for doing good if it should be god's will than for doing evil so there is certainly a suffering that's within god's will there's also a suffering that is the result of our poor choices But when we are suffering for doing God's will, the Bible says it isn't about the event of suffering. It's about how we respond to God. Just because it's painful does not mean it isn't God's will. Secondly, just because it's difficult doesn't mean it isn't God's will. So where some people equate pleasure for God's will, other people suggest that convenience is God's will. If it's convenient, it is then God's will. But if it's inconvenient, then it certainly must not be God's will. And there's an underlying thought process and question that I think actually gnaws at the human heart when it comes to our relationship with God. I think we ask it at some point in our spiritual pilgrimage. And here's the question. Does God really have my best interest in mind? Does God really care about what's best for me? Now, a moment of honesty. How many of us in this auditorium would join me this morning and say, there has been a point in my life where something was difficult, and I actually mentally asked that question of God? So there's about three honest people. The rest of us, I would suggest we may not voice it, but we feel it. We feel it. Because I think at some point in all of our lives we ask the question Does God have my best in mind? That's why First Thessalonians chapter five, and if you're following a new version, it's verse 18. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will. For you who belong to Jesus Christ. Say that word all with me this morning. All circumstances. Here's what the Bible teaches. That we are to give thanks to God in good circumstances and not so good circumstances. When things are convenient and when things are inconvenient. When things are easy and when things are difficult. We're to give thanks to God. Why? Because it's God's will for us. It's God's will for us in Christ Jesus. And let me quickly give you a third. Just because it doesn't make sense doesn't mean it isn't God's will. Just because it doesn't make sense doesn't mean it isn't God's will. There are things that will defy human reason and logic when it comes to the will of God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There are things that can only be revealed about God's will through the Word of God. But what about this individual? What about that 10%? So the will of God is first revealed in the Word of God, but the will of God secondly is revealed through the desires of Of the redeemed heart. I think if we want to know what God's will is for our lives above and beyond the universal will of God, I think you need look no further than into the heart that has been redeemed. Listen to Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself. In the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, listen to what I'm about to say. Delight and desire are spiritual companions. Here's what I mean the thing in life that we delight most in is the very thing in life that we tend to most desire. So if the greatest source of delight for you is sports, watch how much of your desire lands in sports. Watch how much energy is put behind sports. If if your greatest delight in life is cars, you love automobiles. You can't get enough of automobiles. Watch what happens in life. The desires to have more information, to spend more energy thinking about cars is where the heart goes. If your greatest delight comes from food, and you're going to have a great desire to grocery shop, to cook a lot, or to go out to eat a lot, I know from personal experience, okay, you will have a desire to do that. I know there's no ladies this morning that this is true of them, but there are some ladies I've met that their greatest delight is purses or shoes. Guess where their desire lies. If you go to their closet, the lion's share of the space is occupied by purses or shoes. You get what I'm saying? The reality is the delight of our heart will lead the way Toward the desires of the heart. So let me reread the verse. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Somebody a number of years ago came up with a brilliant marketing campaign. It was a brilliant marketing strategy that made thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars. It's not as popular today, but many people still have shirts or bookmarks or perhaps a bracelet that actually has these four letters on it, W-W-J-D. The words, those letters simply stand for, what would Jesus do? I think a better campaign is to take the two last letters and invert them. I think instead of WWJD, what would Jesus do, I think the better way to say it is WWDJ. What would delight Jesus? Because once we find what delights Jesus, we will then find a transformation beginning to take place. I think a conversion. I think a significant spiritual transformation occurs. And it's bigger than just you get eternal life. The moment you upload your life to God through Jesus Christ, God downloads something in your heart. God begins to download His desires into your heart so the verse is not suggesting delight ourselves in God then ask God for whatever we want and God will be obligated to give it no what the Bible is suggesting is this when we delight ourselves in God our desires are transformed it is no longer living life for what I want it's now living life for what God wants it's no longer what is it that brings me alive, it's what is it that brings God alive. The truly transformed heart comes complete with redeemed desires. And those redeemed desires should never be squelched. They should never be ignored. I think that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he does not only Redeem your heart. He redeems your desires. He transforms them. And you say, you know what, I'm a Christian here, but my greatest desire, I know, is that I want to be wealthy. I want to make a lot of money, and I want to live a comfortable life. No, that isn't your deepest desire. If you go to the deepest desire, the deepest desire is you want security. And you're looking for something that only God can actually give to you. If you say, my deepest desire is I want to find somebody I can meet and marry and spend all the rest of my life with feeling loved and valued. That is not the deepest desire. The deepest desire is that you are looking for belonging, for acceptance. You're looking for a place where you can feel complete and whole. And only God can meet that deepest desire because it's there. It's put there by God. I think what we often do, we come to faith in Christ and then we begin to ignore the desires of our hearts. It's a mistake. I think that when we are truly redeemed, God gives us, he takes this unredeemed heart and these unredeemed desires and he takes that heart that was once filled with darkness and doubt and and disillusionment and he replaces it with light and life. And all of a sudden these desires can begin to inform us because those desires placed there by God are leading us to a deeper place with Him. We absolutely need it. I think that God sometimes asks us one of two questions when it comes to trust. I think sometimes... Because I think the will of God is all about trust. God is saying to us sometimes, whispering to us, do you trust me? When it comes to the word of God, God is saying, do you trust me? But there are other times God is actually saying to us, whispering to us, I trust you. And I trust your desires. I trust that your desires, because you have given your life to me, are of me. Let me, let me close with a story. For four years before we moved into this building, we were a mobile church, a church without walls, setting up every week on the campus of Wright State University. We had, during that four years, three different locations that we would meet at. Primarily, we would meet in the Apollo room, which was in the student union building, but every so often, there would be no space there, and we would then have to shift and meet at the Creative Arts Building at one of their theaters. But every so often, we would get placed in a large lecture hall in Omen Hall. Of all of the places that we met, this place was the most unattractive. It was the most sterile. It was the one that had the least feeling of energy, of presence. And I'll be very honest with you. I remember many days where it would be late in the week. I'd find out on a Thursday or sometimes even on a Friday that we were being shifted from the Apollo room to Omen Hall, and my heart would sink. I would not feel consolation. I'd feel desolation. I'd, I'd begin to feel a sense of emptiness, and I'd begin to say, God, Why? There were days I had my share of pity parties that I had to work through. I'm just curious, how many of you in this auditorium this morning were at least in one service in Omen Hall? Can I see your hands? Okay, look around. These are some of the great heroes of mine because they endured some difficult times, especially in that particular location. But it was amazing how often God would meet us there And I remember one particular Sunday morning, I was having one of those moments where I was having just to bring God into my heart to say, God, my deepest desire is not to be here, but my deepest desire is to do your will. It is to be obedient to you. And so I do trust you and I do believe that you'll use our church wherever we're meeting. And I'll never forget one particular Monday morning following that particular Sunday, I got all of our connection cards passed in, and I was going through them. One card that we had that morning was from a young lady. She wrote on the connection card on the back of it. She said, I was in town this week from Columbus. I'm considering Wright State University, and I just happened to be walking Across the campus, and I just happened to come in to Omen Hall. And I, I just happened when I came in to hear music playing from this lecture hall. And so I found my way into the lecture hall this morning, and I want you to know I gave my life to Jesus Christ today. Listen, God's will is not about what we want, God's will is not about convenience, God's will is not about Getting the easy path. God's will on that particular Sunday was about us being in Almond Hall for a young lady from Columbus, Ohio that needed God to come to her, needed to know that Jesus loved her, that Jesus wanted to cross a bridge into her heart, and He did it that morning. I think God's will can always be trusted, even when it's painful or difficult, or doesn't make sense to us. We can trust that God has a plan. And we can come to the word of God, and we can come to our redeemed desires. And we can find God's will in the middle of those two very secure places. Bow your head this morning and close your eyes as we pray. I don't know this morning how you might be wrestling with with this particular concept of the will of God. Maybe, honestly, you've never thought about it. Maybe you've never even given God's will a thought. Maybe this morning you've heard people talk about being in the will of God or being out of the will of God, but it doesn't really make sense to you. Maybe this morning you're not even sure where do I begin to discover God's will? begin at the Word of God. Go to the very clear places that God says, this is my will for you. This is my desire for you. I gave you just a few this morning. And the reality is God has a plan for you and 90% of His will has already been fully revealed. I think the last 10% God will often reveal in the redeemed desires of a heart that's been transformed. Sometimes God whispers, do you trust me? Other times God whispers, I trust you. Lord, I pray this morning that we would first and foremost build our lives and advance your kingdom on what we do know. And the things that we clearly know, help us to be faithful to do those. Help us to make that our big ambition so that as we begin to do those things, Lord, we can be trusted to have the individual will for our lives revealed to us. I pray that we would learn to trust you fully and to trust the heart that has been redeemed by you more. Because there are things that you placed in our life because we delight ourselves in you that God we can count on. Now, if we're not delighting ourselves in you, then our heart can lead us astray. But if we're delighting in you, God, I am confident that you give us the desires that honor you, please you, and bring glory to you. So help us to trust those. I ask this morning that you, God, We'll continue to move your kingdom forward here at Grace Crossing Church by letting your will be done here in this church, just as it is in heaven. We love you, God. We thank you for your presence. We ask that you'll go with us today as we follow you with all of our hearts. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless all of you. Thanks for being here. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.